In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. A lot of times we think we're listening to somebody else, what they're telling us, but in reality, I think you gotta ask yourself, am I really listening to them? Am I just waiting to interrupt and give them my opinion? It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. From Men in the Arena, it's Equipping Men in 10. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. This is a very unique Equipping Men in 10. As you know, guys, uh, through the summer, we're interviewing our national team captains about blogs they're writing and sending out throughout the summer. They got to pick their topic as it pertains to a manhood. And so I'm really excited about today's guest. He does not know I'm going to say this about him, but in 2010, I spoke at his church at a men's retreat in Colorado. That's when God planted a seed in my heart about ministry to men. And it was a couple years later, we launched Men in the Arena, and I went back to their church to speak. And Joe was there, and along with several other guys gathered around me, laid hands on me. It was a really, really deep and uh, meaningful moment in my life, which I really, really appreciate. And so Joe's been with me since before the beginning. So, you know, the Bible says in the beginning, you know, Joe's been there before the beginning uh, of our ministry. So he's been a, a good friend and a, a great uh, guy to just interact with. He's one of our national team captains. And so before I introduce uh, his bio to you, I want to say, guys, again, thank you for making the Men in the Arena podcast Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. So Joe and his wife, Debbie, have been married for 26 years years. They have two grown children and are now living outside of the stress bubble, but they're going back into that bubble and they're helping dudes in the stress bubble get in the arena, stay in the arena and thrive in the arena. So Joe's a Colorado native. He's an avid outdoorsman and he finds himself closest to God when the only roof overhead is the Aspen canopy or the Milky Way. Oh, that just sounds delicious right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, he, Joe uh, serves. He, right now, I'm looking at Joe in his full police attire. He's a police officer. He's been that way for 30 years. He he uh, he loves to spend uh, whatever time remains empty nesting with his wife, hunting with his close friends, fly fishing, and pouring into the life and faith of others. He also serves as a men arena national team captain as well as serving as an elder in his church. So it's great to have you on the show, Joe. How you doing, brother? I'm doing I'm doing very good, Jim. Gosh, all that uh, all that stuff here. I scratch my head and think, man, it it is been that long <laughs> since we first uh, got together. 
In fact, I think I've always been a bald guy, but I think you had a lot more hair when I first met you. But your stash is pretty epic. You know what? And it was it was not gray. I'll say that it was a whole lot more brown. Yeah, exactly. So, hey, man, why don't you take a, a few more minutes and tell us a little bit more about yourself if there's anything I missed? You know, I think you hit the highlights of it, Jim. Um, it's I'm in a unique position right now, uh, and there's probably a lot of guys who are in the same way. It's it's just trying to get accustomed to being that uh, being having your kids outside the home, and, uh, yeah. and and developing that relationship with them as adults. Um, it's fun. It's exciting. It's different. Um, find yourself a lot trying to stay in your own lane, um, but it's 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 just an adventure. Yeah, it's really interesting for me because my kids are 24, 26, and 28, and I'm navigating through the fact that they get to choose the relationship now. And mm -hmm. so how does that look? How do I create uh, an atmosphere for my sons that want to be with me? Just this morning, my middle son was texting me about, how do you hunt bear in the morning? You know, type of thing. <laughs> so, you know, we've got a date on the calendar to make about 100 pounds of a uh, goose and, and a deer sausage. Uh, and pepperoni sticks. So just finding ways to keep them engaged uh, together has just been, it's actually an art form of its own in some ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, so, it, it really is. And just to, just to watch their faith become their own. Um, gosh, what a privilege. Yeah. That's the, yeah. And, it, and again, we have no control over it because they have to select it. They're out on their own. They're working through this thing. And, and it's been a, it's a journey, man. You know, we had John Eldridge on our show years ago mm -hmm. and he said, it's harder to raise adult children than when they're in the home because you just have to trust God with them. Well, you really do. And shut and no one to shut up. Yeah. Well, speaking of knowing when to shut up, that's really the title of your blog. I think your blog is titled shut up and listen. And so when I first saw that, I thought, is that, did Shanna write this? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, one of the things that Shanna will constantly say to me is I know you heard me, but were you listening? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes my answer is no. And so this blog resonated with me. And so I'm calling this episode, the art of hearing and listening, how to be a better friend when your buddy is hurting. So I hope you don't mind my taking liberty with that topic, but why did you, of all the things you could have chosen relating to the topic of masculinity, why did you choose this one? You know, when you asked me to put together a, a blog, really of my choice, um, I, I thought about it and and really just gave it to God, and I just felt the Holy Spirit prompting me more so from mm. the perspective of, um, I, I guess what are what are some of my spiritual gifts, and one of my spiritual gifts is is compassion and mercy, which in some respects seems mm. kind of odd. Me being a cop for so long, most of the time people don't equate that, but um, <laughs> it's. It's just been a unique um, experience and adventure. So, um, you know, it really was just a matter of that's just what uh, I felt laid on in my heart to kind of explore that with, with other guys. It's really fun to watch the guys write. Everybody has a different writing style and some are more polished than others. But, man, the writing quality of, that you guys are putting out is excellent. These guys, in fact, these guys might not ever want to read a blog I write ever again after reading what you guys have to say. It's just so good. And it's also better when you have a different voice in there and it's a different perspective. You know, they hear my same style week after week. So I really appreciate uh, and, and I want to say thank you for doing this, man. So sure, appreciate I'm it. happy to. Well, hey, I'm going to jump into your blog, man. 
so you tell a cool story about your elk hunting experience, and I want you to dive into that here in a second. But I want to quote uh, kind of the impetus of this blog. You said, quote, people can listen without truly understanding the other person, but hearing and understanding what they are saying is something altogether different. And that is so powerful for a man to understand in his marriage and also in the context of uh, fathering, uh, as well as the context of friendship. And you really lean heavily into the friendship, but, but listening and understanding, hearing and understanding, can you uh, unpack that? And then uh, also in the context of your elk whispering experiences, because I know you're an avid, very successful elk hunter. So how has elk hunting helped you to understand this art of understanding and hearing? Well, with regards to the, the elk hunting, and I can't take credit for all this. Actually, it was my son-in-law. He shined me on to a, uh, um, a resource online, Chris Rowe, um, hunting resources. He's uh, he does a lot of elk hunting, a lot of uh, elk calling, and and the more I listened to what this guy was saying on some of his blogs and, and his website, and then going out into the field and using it, it really was getting um, beyond just hey, I'm going to go out and you know throw out a, a you know a, um, a cow call or throw out a just a small little bull bugle early in the season. It, it was going beyond that, really understanding the context of of what you're hearing out in the field and when you're hearing it and, and why they might be making those different vocalizations. Um, and, you know, I started using that last year to try and really do some targeted calling. And I was, I was astounded at the difference of, of the responses I was getting to the elk. And, but more importantly, I think I was understanding really what was going on better than I had been in the past. Um, but, uh, you know, as I was putting this blog together, I just got to thinking about how that really applies to, to human communication. It's very much the same. You know, we, we as I should say, not just as guys, but people in general, um, a lot of times we think we're listening to somebody else, what they're telling us. But in reality, I think you got to ask yourself, am I, am I really listening to them or I'm just, am I just waiting to interrupt them and give them yeah. my opinion. And that more often is, is what we're doing and myself included. Um, so it, it really, it's, it's a discipline and it's, a really in some respects an art form, but I think it goes back to, I mean, you look throughout scripture. Um, I don't think you can draw any time really where Christ is, um, doing exactly what I'm saying, where, where people are waiting to interrupt. He's, he's thinking about truly what the people are saying and, uh, and how to, respond. Sometimes you got to do it directly, but respond in a way I think that honors the other person. Well, and it's really interesting too, because when you read the gospels, I've been reading a blended version of the gospels consistently for years. And so it's, it's all four gospels put together. And it's interesting how he'll, he'll interact with a person and say, or do something completely from left field. And you're listening to this, reading this going, why in the world did he do this? Like the guy at the pool of Bethsaida, right? He heals this guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And then he chases him down and finds him in the temple. And you're like, what happened there? Mm -hmm. Jesus was listening and understanding this guy's body language, his response to the Pharisees who questioned him. And he's he's he realizes this guy's not truly 
healed in the the whole holistic sense. And so it's just really interesting to me. And so, you know, speaking of this guy at Beseda, that guy had a lot of emotional issues. And you talk about something that I had actually never heard of before. And I thought it was very, very powerful when interacting with our wife, when interacting with our children, when interacting with a bro who's kind of broken. Can you unpack this concept of emotional buckets? Yeah, that was something that I was introduced to many years ago by a very a wise, very wise man who's uh, now gone home to be with the Lord. Um, it really just the the concept that emotionally, our the lives that we live, you know, the world, our our workplace, our friends, you name it, they are just throwing different all kinds of stuff at us that affects us emotionally. You know, I don't I don't care if you're. Um, someone who's very stoic, or maybe if you're someone who wears their emotions on their sleeve, the fact is what happens in life, the crap that gets thrown at us, it has an emotional impact. And unless people are, can really, um, really take a look at that, at, at those emotional impacts, or maybe just the emotion itself, unless you can really look at that, especially with a neutral party, they tend to just fill up our emotional bucket, you know? And over time, unless you really have a chance to just dump it all out on the floor, just take your spouse, for example, or a girlfriend, whatever the case might be. If you don't talk about those things that are bugging with you, they kind of fester and yeah. you end up exploding. Um, and, and just the, the, the idea of being able to every now and again, dump your bucket out with another guy and just go, look, look at all this garbage. You know, it's it's a healthy offloading of that, um, of that, those emotions. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent, man. You know, it's really interesting because when we formed uh, men in the arena, you know, gosh, 10 years ago or 10 years ago. Now we created a position on our board. So it is a board position called friend and it's based out of first Kings four five. When the wisest man of all time, Solomon chose his cabinet and it says, uh, and Azariah, the son of Nathan, was over the deputies. And Zabud, the son of Nathan, a priest, was the king's friend. And I can just imagine, you know, this is a lightning. Another word would be a lightning ride. It's a guy that you can that you can dump on. It's a guy that you can, you know, strike like lightning and just say, hey, I'm, I need to unload this. And for me, uh, I, I'm still in ministry over 30 years later where a lot of have quit. And I think the part of the reason is because of men in my life who acted as guys I could dump my emotional bucket on mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, uh, hit my lightning strikes on them. And so that is so important for a guy. Do you have guys like that in your life, Joe? I have a few, just a handful. Of, and I think one of the challenges, for, at least for me personally, um, is again, having, having a gift of compassion and mercy. I literally will have complete strangers. I, I'll engage in a conversation and they will end up dumping on me. And then 20 minutes later go, I can't believe I just told you all that. And I try to, <laughs> as much as I can, just say, you know what? It's not me. It's actually just a gift. And you're just, for whatever reason, you're comfortable doing that. But um, I do have some guys to dump on. And uh, I, it, um, it has to be someone... My, my opinion it has to be someone other than, than your spouse. You got to have another guy. Yeah, I agree. hundred yeah. percent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you've got, sometimes you're dumping on your marriage. I mean, your marriage, you don't want to 
frame your wife negatively, but in marriage, sometimes there's a struggle and you need somebody to talk to. But yeah. you said a, you said something really important. Just a handful of guys, one, I mean, one, maybe two guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk a lot about the two in the morning friend. And, you know, yes. those guys are important. I've got a couple guys like that, but let's be real. How often do we actually need that guy? But I'll tell you what we need. We need that bucket, that emotional bucket friend, that lightning rod all day long. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. So that's, that's, so, so that, man, this, I didn't realize we we're going this way. This is really good, man. I don't think we've ever talked about this lightning rod or this emotional bucket mm-hmm. kind of friend in our lives who will hear us. And then as they know us, they can hear what we're saying, but then, in their hearing, based on their history with us, they have an understanding of how to actually respond to us when we're oh, dumping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Which and, isn't and, always know, what they, we wanted. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They they know when to say, boy, that sucks. And they also know when to say, we've been down this road before. You need to man up. You need to change your ways and, and call you out on it. Well, I think that's important. I think this this emotional bucket dumper or this lightning rod guy isn't a guy who passively sits by and does nothing. He's a guy who, while he's listening to us, is going, "Is this? Does my buddy who's hurting right now, who's uh, whining or crying and ha- he's dumping on me, does he need a, me to call him up, call him in, or call him out?" <laughs> yeah, yes, boy, that, that's a great way to put it. You're right. Oh man. Well, so, so you, you, you shared on your blog, some stuff about SWAT, which I thought was really good. And and you talked about this, uh, I don't know what the actual term is, but the SWAT negotiator, mm-hmm. can you talk us through the SWAT negotiator's job and, and what he does systematically to kind of talk people off the ledge, so to speak. And how does that relate to our topic today of, of, uh, being a, a person that our buddies can come to when they're hurting? Sure. Well, you know, um, you think SWAT and the first thing everyone's mind goes to is, you know, they're the, they're the guys who, you know, they look good, they sound good, they're, they're acting good in, in all their tactical gear. Um, they're the sexy part of the SWAT team. Um, and, they, <laughs> and they certainly are necessary sometimes. However, if um, at least from a, from a larger perspective, the SWAT team, part of the SWAT team are the negotiators. Um, they're not, a, they're not something separate. They're actually probably the bread and butter, the most important part of the SWAT team, because if they do their job right, um, then we're not going to need to have a tactical intervention, um, for, for most situations. But, um, the reason how, how this relates to, you know, just this, this whole topic of, of emotional buckets is, um, there's a specific defined process that negotiators go through, um, to get whoever they're negotiating with to really act, behave a little bit more appropriately so that they can resolve the, whatever the issue is, um, non-violently, ideally. Um, and, and really they just start with talking with somebody and, and relating and trying to connect with somebody. Um, just trying to connect, trying to connect with that person in a manner that they, um, where, where it's empathetic and they're, and they're helping that person to bring their emotions down. Because as soon as you start bringing emotions down, that's mm-hmm. when people's rational thinking starts to go back up. Um, oh. and, and so much of it is, is just connecting with a person as a human being, not necess- not judging them, but really help walking them down this pathway or really up a stairway 
to where they are um, gaining trust in the negotiator and the negotiator ultimately, it hopefully is able to help that person choose to change their behavior for really for all the right reasons. And so is it, so you said to bring them down, to bring their emotions down, and then you switched it to bring them up a stairway. So is this what you're talking about by behavioral change stairways? And what, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's exactly what, um, what that means is it, there's, there's certain steps that you have to take with people who are in some sort of emotional mental crisis. And if you push it too fast or too far, it's going to blow up in your face. And um, one of the first things that negotiators do uh, with people is, is to just simply try and connect with them as a human being in a non-judgmental way and get that person talking about what's going on. And the more people talk and the more the negotiator can connect with them, they can start bringing their emotions down and help um, just start helping that person to see their circumstance from a completely different lens. They're only seeing it through their lens. And once you start getting their emotions to come down, they start rationalizing things a little bit better. Um, that's the that's the point where where you can start to make progress to um, um, really just, I'm not going to say befriend that person, but, but make help them see that you are more of an advocate for them than an adversary, if that makes sense. Mm. Well, I know this, Joe. I know. I remember one time I got lost in the Yolo Boli wilderness hunting deer, and I started to panic. It was right at dark. My batteries in my headlamp had went out, so I sat down. I do the stop acrostic: sit, uh, you know, sit, take time, observe, pray. Mm -hmm. uh, and I sat because I what I need to do is I need to calm myself because when I start to lose, when my emotions climb, I start to lose rational thought. So yeah. once I did that, I realized one, I've got a radio in my in my pack, and I've got spare batteries also. And so the situation worked itself out within about two minutes. But <laughs> you, you, you lined out about, uh, and then after the complete uh, harassment when I got back to camp for my buddies who had to come rescue me. But anyway, in this behavioral change stairway, I noted three things that you said. So. I'm trying to bring this down to real life. So let's say you've got a problem. Well, no, I don't have compassion. You do. So let's say I have a problem and I come to you, uh, the mercy guy, the compassion guy, and I say, hey, man, so it sounds like you've got three things that you work through in the context of a friendship. The first one is you sounded like uh, it, it is connecting and getting them to share. The second step in this uh, uh, this emotion, this um, behavioral change stairway is as I'm sharing and as you're listening, my emotions begin to settle. And the third step, once that has happened, is to begin to initiate rational thought and logistical problem solving. Does that, am I missing a step in there? No, you, you know, you're, you're, you're hitting it from a, from a larger perspective. And it, it really depends on the person and their circumstances. Mm. I've seen it where, where people will, uh, within a few minutes, decide, you know what, uh, uh, this negotiator, they're right. I think I'm just going to put down or stop what I'm doing and come out. Or it might take mm -hmm. quite some time. Um, of course, you know, there's other, other factors that go into it. It, it, it. You know, if they're if they're on some sort of chemical or alcohol or a combination yeah. of those, it makes it more difficult. But um, just the fact that, it, well, let me say this. I think 
we all know when someone is actually listened, listening to us or if they're just pretending to be listening. And the mm-hmm. more, what, at least I've found one of the most effective um, tools that we can use to really help people understand that we're truly listening and it also forces us to listen um, is what we call minimal encouragers. You know, if someone else is telling me something, nodding your head, mm-hmm, wow, uh, you know, tell me more. Those little things that, mm-hmm. that keep the conversation moving so you're not taking it over, um, it really does communicate that you care about them and that you're interested in what they have to say. But I think more importantly, you're not judging them or trying to fix their problem right there. You're just letting them dump their emotional bucket and let them, you know, figuratively say, look at all this crap. And you're not going to judge them before you go, yeah, that is a bucket of crap. Yeah. And I think in the context of a marriage, that is easier to do than with a friendship because my, you know, I know with uh, my wife in particular, if I just sit down with her and take the time to be with her and say, hey, honey, how are you doing? That will un- That's just her permission to dump the bucket, right? And she'll share those things. With a bro, uh, it may take a little bit more coaxing to get it out of him. But I, I think you're right. I think uh, that active listening, uh, having them share and that you're engaged and not texting your buddy, yeah. uh, you know, while he's talking, putting the phone down. Those are all really yeah. good things. So now that's really good, man. I'm really excited to get this blog out, Joe. I think the guys are going to love this thing. And um, by the way, I just ordered uh, some new reads for my elk uh, calling <laughs> uh, today. So I'm um, because, you know, those things only last so long. And so I'm really excited good. about that. Well, hey, you're running a group with the guys I've already met, jo- uh, Fred Workman, who's a, a hospital he, his, he's a doctor who practices in hospital medicine. He's your co-captain. He's out of Colorado Springs. You're in Parker, Colorado. Have you guys ever actually met face to face? We have. We went and had uh, had lunch and talked about men in the arena and talked about all continent. Had a had a great time connecting. He's a good dude. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. He he could be a pro- project for you to get his first elk. He's got the he's got the place to kill him. He yeah. might need you to come alongside of him. His his whole thing was getting wise advice from sage guys and, and you could be his uh, elk hunting sage. Hey, so tell me about your group. So when, when does that group meet? Yeah, our group meets on Tuesday evenings, 7 30 PM mountain standard time. Um, we, right now we have, uh, I guess on paper, we've got about eight guys. We have uh, five or six who are regularly meeting with us. And by regularly, I'll, I'll say that uh, I'll really qualify that we've, uh, last night we just finished our third meeting, so uh, we're just starting into the um, into the integrity series, into the the trailhead series, and we've got all kinds of room for anyone who wants to jump in with us. And then Fred made th- this. This is going to air in July. This episode, Fred made it sound like you guys are going to continue meeting through summer. Yeah, is that true? Yeah, we plan on on meeting through the summer. Um, it's it's been neat for me because we've got a a, a real wide range of guys who are in there. We've got guys from 20 years old up to, you know, Fred in his, uh, you know, I guess the late fifties, early sixties. Man, that's really, yeah, it's, it's a great program, great group and really excited about uh, what you're doing. And I I really want to say thank you for doing that. You guys are a huge blessing to our organization. And, and so Joe, how can these guys sign up for your team? If they, if they go, man, I like this Fred guy, this Joe guy seems pretty cool. I want to be on this team. How, how can they you do that? I think probably the easiest way is they can just go right on to, to the website there, the Men in the Arena website, and click follow the links there to get to get signed up. Um, 
and uh, we're happy to have whoever wants to jump on. We got all kinds of room, but I think the most direct route is just to go on on the website. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate that, guys. When you just go to our homepage, click join the program, our program button, it'll take you to the options. Pick Fred and Joe's team. It'll give you the mountain standard time that they meet and uh, they'll contact you as soon as they get that. And you're off and yeah. running, man. So, Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to be on our show, to share your wisdom and experience and uh, for being a man in the arena yourself. So thanks, man. You bet, brother. Good seeing you. You too, bro. Hey, guys, make sure your action item today, your boots on the ground, is simply go to our website, click join our program and get in there. The guys, it costs you like 15 bucks for the book and then you're off and running. There's no monthly fee, nothing like that. So guys, and when you're there, make sure you grab your free copy of my book. Tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters. It's a great resource for you dads out there. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.